You're listening to the Between You and Me podcast, brought to you by JesusWire.com, with your host, Jessica Morris. Hi guys, welcome to episode three of Between You and Me. I am Jess, and today we have a really important episode all about mental health in the music industry. Mental health is something that I'm really passionate about because of my own story, but also because I interned with a nonprofit called To Write Love on Her Arms a few years back. And because of that, today I'm actually interviewing my friend, Chad Moses. Chances are, if you guys are a fan of Switchfoot, Amberlynn, Under Oath, if you used to attend Warp Tour back in the day or even this year, you've probably seen the iconic To Write Love on Her Arms tea. Well, To Write Love on Her Arms isn't a band, contrary to some popular belief. It's actually a non-profit that exists to bring hope and help and to invest in recovery for people struggling with depression, thoughts of suicide, self-injury and addiction. Now, while To Write Love reaches out to millions of people all over the world, supporters, music fans, uh, online and at festivals and concerts, They also reach out to musicians and artists, people who are on tour, people in production, all the time, just by building personal relationships with them. Chad is the go-to person to hear about that. He's been working with True Right Love for 10 years, and considering they've been around for 12 years, that's a fairly big stint. He lives most of his life on the road, and there are few people who know as much about music, mental health, and religion like Chad does. So I can't wait for you guys to hear what he has to say today um, about how mental illness affects people in the music industry and how sort of there's an added level of complexity for people with a faith purely because often in the Christian music industry there hasn't been an outlet or an avenue to even talk about our struggles. We often tend to just think blessed be your name which is well and good but when we do that without also talking about the difficult parts of our life, it doesn't do very well for our health. Uh, Chad will speak all about that. He has some great things to say, and he's someone that I really, really respect. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. Guys, before we go ahead and talk about stuff like mental health, mental illness, I do want to give you a heads up. This is a heavy topic. Chad and I are both really careful not to use any triggering words or talk about anything in detail, but you should be aware that we are talking about our personal stories. We're talking about, at one point, Chris Cornell, um, and we're talking about how people go through this stuff and come through it. So if you're going through a hard time right now um, and feel like it might be a bit too much, feel free to stop um, and come back and listen later. Or if you've had your own story, you might actually find that this really resonates with you and even hopefully gives you permission to talk about what you're going through irrespective of what you believe or or where your health is at at the moment. This is To Write Love on Her Arms, Chad Moses. In 2006, when MySpace was the pinnacle of social media, Florida resident Jamie Torkowski posted an essay on his page titled To Write Love on Her Arms. It told the story of his friend Renee, who was not able to be admitted to rehab for substance abuse and self-injury, discussing how he and friends had taken Renee in for five days to keep her safe and clean 
so she was ready for rehab, the story went viral, and in the coming weeks, Renee's story became a phenomenon online. Referencing Don Miller's Blue Light Jazz and talking about the nature of God and saying, we often ask God to show up, we pray prayers of rescue, perhaps God would ask us to be that rescue, while also talking about church and praying for her, many Christians were drawn to the story of to write love in her arms. And hundreds of people began sharing their own stories of mental illness, addiction and recovery online. This momentum only built when Dorkowski's friend, John Foreman of Switchfoot, donned the now famous To Write Love in Her Arms t-shirt on stage at Boca Raton in Florida. It brought the story national attention and t-shirts were sold to fund Renee's recovery. Becoming a non-profit in the following years, To Write Love in Her Arms quickly became one of the most well-known mental health charities in the world. Support from artists, including Underoath, Amberlynn and Paramore, cemented the movement on the music scene and they quickly made their mark on the festival circuit to present a message that hope and help are real. In 2010, they presented their flagship event, Heavy and Lights, as a tribute to Hawthorne Heights guitarist Casey Calvert. A night of honest conversation, music and hope, it brought the message of to write love on her arms to supporters in a whole new way. And after the winning, the crowd voted $1 million grant from NBC's American Giving Awards in 2011, supported by the likes of Miley Cyrus, Liv Tyler and Lucky Phoenix nonetheless, they took Heavy and Light on the road and toured across the US. It remains a yearly event for the organisation and features John Foreman as well as artists including Propaganda, Thrice's Dustin Kensrue and Matt Wirtz. Since then, their affiliation with musical acts, including many faith-based artists, has grown to include Matt Carney, Noah Gunderson, Copeland, Sleeping at Last, Bayside, Forever the Sickest Kids, One Republic, Between the Trees, A Day to Remember, Panic at the Disco, and Red Jumpsuit Apparatus. In 2015, Torkowski's book, If You Feel Too Much, which included the original story, To Write Love in Her Arms, became a New York Times bestseller, and a movie starring Kat Dennings and Chad Michael Murray was released telling the story of how the organisation started and was released to DVD the same year. Twelve years since Jamie posted the story on MySpace, To Write Love on Her Arms still exists to bring hope and help to people struggling with depression, self-injury, addiction and thoughts of suicide. It also directly invests in treatment and recovery for people going through these things. They have been present at Warp Tour until it closed this year and continue to have a presence on the secular, punk, hardcore and Christian music scenes. I spoke to Chad Moses, who has been with the organisation for a decade. We spoke about the effect touring and the industry has on artists, how religion and dogma adds an additional complexity to this, and why music helped to save his life. This is Toloha's Chad Moses. So can you tell me initially, Trite Love has a super interesting relationship with the music industry purely because you're not a band, even though everyone thinks you are. Um, can you tell me how that started um, and what that sort of relationship looks like today? We started um, about 12 years ago, a little over 12 years ago, simply as an attempt to help a friend and tell her story. Uh, so the name To Write Love in Our Arms was the name of a literal two-page story uh, about our friend Renee and her first five days in recovery from cocaine addiction and finding help with self-injury. Uh, so like I said, you know, from the earliest uh, um, idea of what this organization could be or this story could be, the story began with the name of a band, uh, Pedro the Lion. Um, and, you know, for the context of the story and for Renee's own story of finding help, 
music was a safe place. Music was a place that she could feel understood, where she felt seen, where she felt uh, really in the midst of friends. So uh, fast forward 12 years later, music is still at the heartbeat of everything that we do at Right Love on Our Arms. It's one of our biggest um, points of outreach. It's one of our biggest senses of uh, of maintenance with supporters that we've had the opportunity to crisscross the world and rarely are we at an event as strangers. Uh, we get to see people that we've been tracking with for years and uh, we get to see people for the first time that have been uh, directly impacted by our story, by our mission, by our activity. Um, so uh, I just actually had these numbers crunched yesterday, but in uh, in 2018 alone, we have had 181 days where a to write love on our arms or a to write love on our arms booth was present. Um, not all of those were music events, but the vast majority were. Uh, so we, by the end of the year, we'll be at about four dozen uh, unique events. Again, most of those are, are music events and things like uh, the Warp Tour um, that that's been so instrumental in in our growth and experience. Uh, and it's been really cool. Uh, this being active in the world of music has given us a really unique opportunity to grow up with our audience. So people that first saw us at punk shows and hardcore shows back in you know 2006, 2008, uh, we're seeing them now at EDM festivals, at yoga festivals, at um, at these other events, uh, huge events like Bonnaroo that takes place in Tennessee. Um, we are getting the chance to not define ourselves by the genre, but allow people's experience within music to uh, to kind of point us in the right direction of where we can continue to have these conversations. Yeah, I love that. And you, I know you still go on the road a lot. That's like a core part of your job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you spend less time on the road now than you used to, or do you used to still manage to juggle everything? Yeah, it's um this this past year uh, definitely not less. Uh, so uh, by the time um, New Year's Eve comes around, I, I will have been on the road for about 135 days this year, and that's uh, you know including travel to and from events. Um, I'm looking forward to in the future uh, working smarter and not harder. Uh, looking forward to seeing um, how I can minimize the impact on my own body and yet still. Uh, maximize the impact of right love in our arms into other communities. Uh, that being said, you know, music has been part of my job description for the past 10 years with the organization. Um, so I'm not going to uh, completely divorce myself from that, that there's a handful of events that uh, will have to be pried from my hands, that as long as uh, I have an email address at to write love in our arms, I will be doing some of these events. Um, but I, I like that. It's going to give us a, a chance to um, to find some other niche groups that we haven't been able to explore mainly just because there hasn't been time to. So uh, really looking forward to what 2019 is going to be bringing. Um, I love the travel, but, uh, but I'm not 23 anymore. So. Oh yeah, I hear uh, that. <laughs> yeah, but we, uh, we definitely have a lot of cool things on the horizon.
guys reach out to supporters all the time and also you come across a lot of fans at music festivals. I think maybe a side of it that people don't see as much because it happens behind the scenes is that you also like work just relationally with music artists and with people who work on touring and production and things like that. And I feel like this is an obvious question, but maybe that's because I've probably talked with you before. Um, but can you tell me why is it important for people who work in the industry themselves to have such a prominent resource about mental health, like to write Love and Her Arms, like close by, especially Absolutely. when they're touring. Yeah, you know, I think uh, in the most obvious level for the people that are writing the music and performing the music, uh, you know, music doesn't happen in a bubble. That uh, as millennials, you know, we have this authenticity radar. We, we know when something feels real, we know when something feels fabricated. And I think that, you know, if you could think about your favorite songs, uh, whether I'm talking to you, Jess, or I'm, I'm talking to anyone listening, uh, your favorite song is probably your favorite because it reminds you of something true about your own life, that it makes you um, feel known on a level that you have been wanting to feel seen and heard and valued. Um, but music kind of gives you that context. Now, that song, again, that, that makes to feel that way, it came from somewhere. And odds are it's coming from something purely anecdotal uh, from the artists. And uh, that's a beautiful thing. Um, but that's the simple answer, right? That so many people just experience music as a artist, a, uh, an audience kind of dynamic. But there's so much more that goes into it. Man, the, the conversations that I've had with, uh, with truck drivers that are driving, you know, millions of dollars of equipment from coast to coast with the people that are putting on these festivals with the people that uh, are in charge of security and safety uh, at these events you know the the industry is so much more than just the producer and the consumer it's about the delivery vehicles as well um, some of my most grounding conversations that I've had over the years have come with people that you would never be able to pick them out on the street as someone that works intimately with the music industry uh, these are people that have history with substance abuse and uh, by living in this super active, super unpredictable world of music production, that is their anti-drug, that they are, uh, they are required to stay sober so that they can keep people safe. And they're like, you know, my life has uh, a new um, meaning now because of this job that I have that I wouldn't trade for anything. Talking with people that, um, that work in production, um, I'm thinking of one individual who uh, built stages for these massive festivals uh, and thinking about their history with, with self-injury. And still every day, even though they were moved from self-injury uh, for about a decade now, you know, the, the wounds are still obvious. And uh, the, the conversations that she's still able to have and the fact that she's always wearing one of our wristbands, actually she's always wearing two uh, so that she can give one away just in case she has a heartfelt conversation. Um, and, and this just keeps going on and on and on. Uh, and then you look, you know, at, at some of the, the darker shades of it as well. Like, um, you know, two years ago, I'm working a series of, of rock festivals and I was so excited to see Soundgarden on the bill. Um, and I got to see uh, Chris Cornell's last festival. Oh, my um, gosh. And he was supposed to, you know, the, I, I load into a festival uh, a week later 
And uh, the day of load-in, we get news that he passed away. And this is having a huge ripple effect on everyone there, not just the audience, not just the artists, but uh, the production team. Uh, you, you had the promoters scrambling to try to find a, a Chris Cornell tribute band just to say thank you in some way and kind of give some sense of solace. But um, all of this to say is that music is something that uh, – that by definition does not happen in a bubble that music exists because there are people there working so hard to, to present it. Uh, and there's people working so hard to consume it. Um, the stories that I hear of people that have put their life on hold so that they could experience uh, a festival that's been on their bucket list or, uh, seeing people that are using festivals as a sort of personal catharsis or retreat, you know, um, so all of this really, you don't have to dig deeply to see that uh, that music is not a an individual endeavor, um, that your favorite band very well could be someone else's favorite band and likely for a very similar reason, you know? Um, so it's all about kind of finding where those, those points of connection are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I... I know, and I feel like I need to say this for podcast listeners, To Write Love isn't a Christian organisation, even though it has roots and its story has themes in that. Um, I wanted to ask, I know that musicians and everyone in the industry broadly deals with mental health. It doesn't discriminate against anyone. When it comes to artists with a faith base, and it could be any faith, or artists particularly, I think, in like Christian music festivals and things like that, especially in the early days that you guys were involved in, have you seen any additional pressure that comes on them from the environment that they're in or perhaps from fans or, or labels because of maybe the image they're upholding? Or is it sort of just similar? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so just to kind of... Um address your disclaimer yeah when people ask where we stand on topics of faith uh i say one of two things one um that to write love in our arms we are faith friendly but we're not faith exclusive uh if you are looking for a faith-based option for treatment and recovery we're going to help you find that uh and if you're not we're going to help you find that that this is your life this is your story you deserve to and this is your recovery you get to call the shots um so from there, uh, so often when people ask, especially in Christian circles, from my experience, because that's the world that I grew up in, when people ask, oh, are you a Christian? Um, they really, they're asking, oh, do you believe the same thing that I do? Um, I learned recently that there are more denominations of Christianity in the United States than there are verses in the Bible. Um, so naturally we are going to disagree on a lot of things that some of us think are inconsequential and some people have created a completely different expression of their faith because of that, that one, uh, potentially irreconcilable difference. Um, but yeah, so it, it's a loaded question. Like, uh, what is your faith and how does your faith inform your action? And, um, and I know for me personally, like that hasn't been a, a linear journey at all. And I think by extension for people that are, again, creating music and uh, experiencing music, that's not linear. Um, I just had a conversation with some friends recently um, uh, about how <sighs> a lot a lot of my 
psychological pain surrounded by my spiritual identity was rooted in bad what I would now reckon or what I would now see as bad theology expressed through music. Um, that music uh, is rarely presented in a conversational form, especially um, in the context of, of of Christian music, whether that's contemporary Christian or or worship or or what have you. Um, but so often, like the most popular songs within that genre, within that that demographic, are questions that are making. I'm sorry, songs that are making uh, proclamations rather than encouraging questions. Um, so you throw mental health into the mix, and and man, things can get squirrely really quickly. But I'm not dead yet, so watch me burn. Go on, shake it, like it, you're so sure. I may be broken, but I'm not certain. I'm gonna hurt it with this breath in my lungs. Cause I'm not dead yet. this story uh i was serving um on the leadership team of uh my home church's youth group when i completely lost touch with my faith and uh a piece of that like the flashbulb memory was uh my church asking us to sing um a song, popular worship song called blessed be your name at the funeral of one of my youth uh, one of my youth um and i was not okay with her passing. Uh, I was not okay with uh, this sense of um, of justice that I was experiencing. And then I'm standing on a stage singing "You Give and Take Away," but blessed be your name. And I'm like, I don't believe that at all. Um, and then I made a really poor decision of continuing throughout that summer serving as a youth minister that no longer believed in God. Um, so don't do that. Don't. Yeah. Right. Um, so it wasn't until, you know, probably about eight years later that I, uh, I'm having a conversation, uh, you know, a big chunks of my faith story had, had been kind of, um, patched up at that point. But for the first time, uh, I got this vision of, look, like just because someone's singing it and it has good production value doesn't make them automatically correct. Just because you are uh, invoking the name of the divine, that doesn't mean that what you say is is right. Uh, it could be coming from a really pure point, and perhaps the point of that song was humility, but uh, I needed answers in that part of my life, and this was an answer that was presented with a brilliant chord progression. Uh, and I thought, man, if I can't buy that, then I can't buy any of this. Um, for what it's worth, uh, I now love a story that that song came from, uh, which is the story of Job. And uh, that line um, that Job says, you give and take away, but I'll still bless your name, uh, that line has quite a history in and of itself. Uh but to, to keep things short, um, if you read the story of Job, uh, you would know as the reader that it wasn't God taking away anything. It, it was the Satan. It was the, the 
antagonist that was doing all the taking in that case. Um, but Job is still attributing something evil, such as death, to something um, that is beautiful, which is which is God. Um, so he says this in the very beginning of the book, and at the very end of the book, when he gets to have his face-to-face uh, with the divine, he says, I spoke out of ignorance. I didn't know what I was saying. I recant in dust and ashes from everything that I've said, which means we can't take that line and, uh, and base a song on it because you're missing the point where he goes, wait, uh, I, I had that wrong. All of this to say, you don't have to agree with me on that. But I found peace in in um, I found peace in Job protest uh, and the entire story that was being laid out. And songs, if they're produced for mass consumption, they're only going to be three to four minutes long. There's no way you can flesh out uh, a nuanced story in that amount of time. Um, I know this is going every which way. Um, Go for it. I love it. But again, you know you. Christianity, especially pop Christianity in, in the Western context, is not one that, that finds a lot of value in questions. They, uh, they've kind of built their brand on having answers, on kind of boiling down big things into best-selling books and to bumper stickers and to songs. And, and again, like that is what it is, but uh, had my faith stayed in that, um, I just want answers – framework, um, I would probably be dead right now. Um, I don't know if I would have sought, uh, my own recovery because I would probably believe that my questions and my mental illness were, um, were brought on by either God or my lack of faith or whatever. And really what I was experiencing wasn't anyone's fault. It was just life. It's, it's life is, is hard. And there's no lifeguard to the gene pool, and I can't choose, you know, what uh, what pieces of me, both great and and fractured, um, are existing within me, and that's okay. Um, that I've found a, a lot of peace in this idea. Like, look, the absence or the opposite of faith is not doubt. Um, the opposite of faith is blind certainty. When uh, when you there's no virtue in convincing yourself of, of something being real when it's not, you know, like you can look at a square day in and day out and say, that's a circle. You're a circle. You are going to be round. You are going to be a circle. This is a circle. And then if you find a way to convince yourself of that, A, that's not healthy. Um, and B, you're still wrong. That is still a square. Uh, so just making yourself certain of something isn't going to undo pain or undo truth. But I believe that that faith, uh, a faithful practice is one that entertains questions uh, that says, look, you know, despite all the reasons you're giving me um, not to love you, I'm going to love you regardless. Uh, You know, and, and I say that um, actually kind of from the, I normally say it like this. Uh, the reason I'm still on this planet is because people loved me despite the reasons I was giving them not to. Uh, and, and that's because they saw, um, they knew my history. Uh, they chose to participate in my present and they believed in a, a future that I couldn't see. Uh, they believed in better things on my behalf. Uh, and I think that 
that intention alone is, is so much of why I'm still on this planet and having this conversation. Um, and again, man, this is so scattered, but I, I think that's also just how life works that you can have, uh, ideas perfectly laid out and then, uh, you get a good question that, that completely derails it, or you get a different piece of information that makes you question how you're approaching a conversation altogether. Um, and that's beautiful. That's not something that should be silenced, uh, but that's something that should be leaned into. So to go back to your question, of uh, which I believe was how have we kind of seen the conversation of mental health within um, the Christian music context play out. Uh, there's times that it's played out in really healthy ways, and there's times that it's uh, really silenced some, some life-giving um, conversations. I'd also say this, that, you know, kind of looking back at the music that shaped my my adolescent faith and my adolescence in, uh, in music fandom, I'm listening, uh, for the most part to people that are no older than me trying to convey timeless truths. Uh, and then, you know, as, and they haven't experienced life really anymore or any less than I had. Um, so then you get this really painful conversation that you're seeing all throughout the record industry of bands that stop being Christian and their labels cut them and their fans abandon them. And they're like, look, I'm just trying to sort through life. Uh, um, so if you are familiar with to write love on our arms and you know that bands like, uh, like Switchfoot have been instrumental in, in our growth and in our story and, um, and I love, you know, what they have to say about their relationship with faith and music. They're like, look, I, I don't know what it means to be a Christian band, um, but I know what it's like to pursue my own faith. And I guess that shows through in some of our music, but look, we're, we're looking just to write things that are honest. Um, we're not writing songs for, uh, for an agenda We're we're writing songs because I can't imagine life without this song you know, being in existence. But, you know, so much of it is, uh, and I think it's one thing that when music is done right, it will invite you into the emotional atmosphere of the artist. When music is done wrong, it's heavily manipulative um, to the point where either the uh, artist doesn't believe what they are performing or the audience um, is just being dragged along. Um, but I think where you find some truly life-shaking music and music experience is when there is this, uh, this authenticity, um, when you have this humility of uh, just because I'm getting paid to produce art doesn't mean to have everything all figured out and you're welcome along on this journey with me. Um, I, um, I think some of the music that that has most impacted me um, is music that I can place uh, with a live show. And when I can see the emotional toll that this is, that this has on an artist, uh, when I see that live, uh, I can remember that when I listen to the song recorded. Um, and I think that there's really something special about that. Um, just finding, again, someone that is on the same 
uh, emotional tier that, that you are. Um, and think that that's the same spiritually as well. Like I think our, our relationship with the divine, um, is never going to outgrow, uh, it's never going to outrun the opportunity to directly engage with the divine. I, I know that didn't make a lot of sense, but if, if I believe that God is stoic, if I believe that God is uh, emotionless, then whenever I feel emotion, there's going to be a sense of separation between me and that picture of God. Right. Yes, sir. Um, so I, I read something this summer that, that I just keep coming back to time and again. And it's a story in John of, Jesus resurrecting Lazarus and that's where we get the verse Jesus wept. That's important because Jesus's weeping, Jesus's tears were not something that was outside of the ability of the divine. It was full divinity there. That feeling emotion is something that is necessary to the existence of, of God. Uh, That weeping, that tears, that sadness, that depression, that, questions that is the divine image it's not counter divine i'm almost So I heard about To Write Love in Our Arms um, during these college years. Uh, So after that conversation with my friend Kim, who said, you know, like, we are going to get through this together, um, started making more choices that were more conducive to um, to recovery and and to to self-care. And I was still serving as an RA. And I remember uh, walking into um, my my dorm uh, in one of my residents, my first year's had pulled up a uh, had pulled up a website which was to write love in our arms and I, I recognized the shirt that the artist on on the website was wearing and uh, because for the previous year and a half I'd been interning at a uh, music management firm and, and um, so I'm you know so I'm really in this world of, of live music both performance and and production and management stuff so I've seen these shirts a couple times and I just assumed that it was maybe the name of a record label maybe the name of an album or maybe the name of a band um, and I just paid really no mind to it uh, but I see my my resident Dan who's checking out this website and I'm like hey what are you looking at he goes something cool I just found out about like I think you'd really dig it and, and Dan really didn't know any of my story um, but I'm like, yeah, cool. Just email me a link and I'll check it out. Uh, so I go immediately to my room and, and I, I check out the website and I'm like, I can't believe people are talking about this stuff. Like I, I thought I was the only one. Um, and I didn't know that this was happening. This conversation was happening in the world of music and that's my world, you know? So like it was, it, it was a really weird kind of zooming in, um, 
you know, going from like just a scanning lens to a times a hundred lens of, I wonder if anyone out here feels the way I do to some of my favorite artists care about this. Like mm-hmm. that's, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. I, I, I think it was that very night that I bought a shirt, a pack of buttons and, um, and uh, a bunch of info cards. And uh, once those finally came in, I slapped the buttons on my backpack and I would pass out info cards like in between classes uh, or just kind of leave them at the library. Um, and uh, before I know it, like my, my last semester of university is coming to a close and I'd made an agreement with myself that I wanted to leave as well as possible. Uh, that I wasn't going to pretend like I was always the best person or the best student, but I'm going to leave um, with a sense of gratitude. So kind of in that uh, greatest hits gratitude tour, I, I go to lunch with my former mentor at the uh, at the management firm and uh, take him out to lunch. And we're just talking about, you know, what comes next in life. And he sees the button, the Trey Love and Arms button on my backpack. And he goes, oh, you're, you're familiar with him. I said, yeah, you know, I just learned about them. Love what they're up to. And he says, you know, I, I just started working for the Switchfoot team, and they're all about it. Um, you know, you should work for To Write Love on Our Arms. And I said, cool. Um, I don't know what that means. And he says, you know, I, I don't know what that means either, but I know that they do a lot with music. Uh, I know that um, this is obviously a cause that you care about. Um, this looks like a great stepping stone for you. Um, just send an email, and if you need backup, I, I got you. Um, so I send a cold call email, and um, and long story short, uh, they end up saying, come on down, uh, just to kind of tease that. Uh, over spring break, I had decided to drive from Virginia down to Florida, where the organization's based, uh, in the intention of leaving with a job. And uh, after spending a week down in Florida, I never saw the office, never met anyone from the team. Uh, I was I was pretty uh, bummed and mad. And I think I even told my dad that, uh, you know, there's no way I'd ever work for someone this unprofessional that doesn't respond to my emails. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Little, little did I know that at the time there was tens of thousands of emails that were waiting to be responded to. So uh, actually, when I was an intern, I found my original email uh, and I deleted that. Um, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so um, I send an email and, and they say, uh, we, we do have an internship opportunity coming up this summer. We'd, we'd love to have you. So I pack up my life. Uh, I moved down to Florida. Um, and I happened to be thinking the right things and at the right time in my life, talking to the right people and, uh, was able to kind of find this, this little, um, corner of, of music and events that has now become my, my home at, at the organization. Um, so kind of the, the question of how do I learn about to write love? It, it kind of comes in a few different movements, uh, um, starting with, um, starting with community, starting with inviting people into my life. Um, I didn't know the word was community at the time. Um, started with, uh, yeah, it, it started with other people. Um, and those other people encouraged my passion, encouraged my own story, encouraged, um, you know, this, this prospect of what could happen. 
um, and then just kind of taking a shot, you know, that uh, when, when you find an opportunity that, that you believe in, uh, you take it. And it doesn't mean it's going to, you know, uh, strike gold. But, uh, but if you're passionate about something, it's always worth taking a shot in that direction. Um, you don't need to have all the answers. You don't need to have all the details mapped out. But so much of it is what I think this is true about music. And I think it's true about work. And I think it's true about spirituality. But, uh, but so much of it's about just showing up. Um, you know, maybe even showing up without expectation, but, uh, but by being present, uh, that's where you're going to find what the next best question is. That's where you're going to find what the next best step is. And, uh, with community, you're going to find that, uh, whether you made the right call or the wrong call, it's your call and that you're going to have people that, uh, what my friend Chris Hewitt says is that, you know, a true friend is someone that is not surprised by your successes or disappointed in your defeats. Uh, it's someone that, that is just there regardless to experience this life that you're living. Maybe it's okay. Um, that sort of don't really fit anywhere, but people sort of wish they could ask. In this case, they're questions that I wish I could ask you at any random time, so I just thought I'd go for it. Um, yeah. How many times have you been asked if To Write Love on Her Arms is a band? Man, um, it's really funny because uh, oftentimes people aren't asking if it is. Uh, they are telling me that it is. Uh, oh, I love people. They're so funny. So funny. It's like Trite Love on Her Arms. That's a band, right? I'm like, no. They're like, yeah, it is. I've seen the music video. Like, they were my favorite. I'm like, no, no, no. They weren't. I, I, I um, work with them. No, <laughs> I love that. So, uh, so probably in the let's see here, I've worked over a hundred festivals, so I would assume I've gotten that question probably or that affirmation probably around 500 times nicely done yeah. <laughs> good, good work fielding that question with grace <laughs> <laughs> second question um you wrote a blog called because they are copeland i am chad and i know mm. how much you love copeland i also know that you don't get flustered by very much and you don't get starstruck did you get starstruck when you first met Copeland and like particularly James, who you now work with? Yeah. So if, uh, so James, uh, James likeness is our current art director at to write love in our arms. And he, uh, was the original bassist for Copeland and played on their first three albums. And I got to see, uh, well, I've been able to see Copeland quite a few times, but um, I remember seeing them right before the end of my college career. This is kind of when, like, all of these, uh, you know, what next step conversations were happening. And I got to see Copeland play at my college town. Uh, and 
uh, I didn't, I wasn't really starstruck, but like trying to play it cool and just trying to find like uh, a way to prolong a conversation to make it feel a bit more like, like peers. Uh, and I was just stupid looking back. Um, so I wasn't starstruck, but was definitely stoked. Uh, I probably said some like really like drop some stupid ideas. Oh, we've all been there. Don't like worry about they, that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I remember, actually I do remember this conversation with, with Aaron. Um, so Aaron wrote a song, um, with the guys in under Oath on an album called they're only chasing safety. Um, and the song's called, uh, some, some seek forgiveness, others just escape or some of that, that effect. Uh, but Aaron, uh, Aaron Marsh from Copeland sang on that, that song. And I love that song. And I, after that show, I'm, I'm meeting the band and I'm like, Hey, like, I thought that was really cool how you guys are a more mellow band. And they're obviously like in that kind of, um, screamo metalcore world. Like you guys should like do another song together. And Aaron's like, yeah, I don't see that happening. <laughs> just like short to the point. I'm like, Oh, okay. Shut yeah. down. Well, I, I gotta go. But it's totally me. Like just saying, saying something like, I don't know. Uh, I don't know these guys, you know, there's no need for me to give them business advice. <laughs> That's brilliant. But, that is great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> What would you say to your Chad in 2008, knowing that you've experienced all this? What would you tell yourself? Yeah, I would probably just tell myself, like, um, hey, man, it's okay to be honest uh, about the things that you need. You know, whether that uh, I need to take a day off or I need um, I need more time to complete a task or I need more help or uh, going back to the really early days, uh, hey, I, I could use a little more financial assistance. Uh, um, but so much of it was was me just – I think there's a difference between working hard because you believe in something um, and working working so hard that you stop believing in something, you know. And that was definitely a line that, like, I was towing for a while that – I thought, you know, if I, if I am really working for this, then, then that means I care that much more. Um, and it, it took, uh, it took some really honest conversations of being like, man, like you should be happy at your job. Uh, you should be happy with your, your coworkers and you should allow other people to be happy for you. Like it's not Chad versus the world. Like you're part of a team. Um, so I think a piece of like another huge piece of advice is uh, just being like, man, like this story is so much bigger than you. Uh, this story is bigger than any individual at this office. Um, I, I had another interview a while back, uh, and this story came came to mind, and I keep thinking about it. But it was my uh, second year, second or third year working at the organization. I was going through a lonely time, and my birthday was coming up, and. Uh, I felt, you know, for whatever reason and that, um, that I just wasn't worth celebrating that year. So I took all mention of my birthday off of social media, uh, in my birthday just kind of skates by. And then some, some staffers were like, Hey, Chad's been here for a while and we haven't celebrated his birthday. Maybe we should pull a file. And, and they find that I had, I had purposely missed my own birthday. 
And I remember getting on the phone uh, with Aaron Moore, uh, who's a counselor friend of the organization, good friend of mine. And uh, this was a, a day or two after my birthday. And he's like, hey, man, like, sorry I missed your birthday. I'm like, no, like, I, I kind of made it easy to miss. He's like, why? That's not cool. I'm like, oh, man, like, I just am feeling down and don't feel like, you know, more celebrating. He goes, dude, your birthday's not all about you. Like, I was having a pretty crummy day a couple days ago, and I needed something to celebrate. And, like, looking back, like, man, that, that's such a, a humbling perspective that uh, the things that bring you joy in life uh, or you know, that it's not contingent upon your sense of that joy, that people can celebrate you whenever they damn well please. Um, and so much of community is just allowing that to happen, allowing people to celebrate you when you don't think you deserve it and allowing people to, to pick you up and give you grace um, even when you don't feel like you deserve it. So I would tell myself, um, yeah, lean into community more. All I know is that my love, it knows no end. Thank you for listening to that super powerful conversation. Chad had so much to say and it was also valuable that in the end I just let him talk because I felt like I was learning a lot from him and I hope you did too. Now if today's episode um, was hard for you or sort of made you think I would really like to access some hope and help right now, please do. It's something that I have done many times. Prayer is great. Prayer works. It is powerful. But God can use counseling and medication and different things too. I'm not saying you guys have to use that, but I'm saying that they are options and they're actually okay. All that to say, if you just want help and hope right now, um, we have some helplines for you. In Australia, you can call 13 11 14. In the US, you can call 1-800-273-8255 or text TWILOHA to 741741. If you are in Canada, please call 1-833-456-4566. And if you're in the UK, you can text or call 116123. If you are in a different country or you're wanting like a particular resource, especially in the US, please go and visit TWILOHA.com. That is T-W-L-O-H-A. Dot com. While you are there, uh, go check out the blogs. As a writer, I have a real soft spot for them. There are some super powerful stories there. And you can also find Chad uh, there under the author section. And like I said before, you can actually find the link to his blog because they are Copeland. I am Chad in the link there too. Uh, while you are there, if uh, Chad and my, my talk about the intern program caught your interest, also email or contact the team about that. I can't recommend it highly enough. Um, and whether you have a faith or not, super powerful and it teaches you a lot. Okay, guys, that was it for another episode. I know it was heavy, but it was so important. And this is all about talking about the things that matter. Thank you for tuning in for this. 
Tune in next week to hear my conversation with my friend Jennifer Martin. Jennifer is a pastor in Nashville, Tennessee. But before that, she actually did PR for Michael W. Smith and Amy Grant back in the 90s. She went on to become a touring singer-songwriter across Europe. And she also did some songwriting for places like Passion. She has so much to say and I can't wait for you to hear it. That's it for this week, guys. As always, if you liked what you heard, please leave us a review. Uh, That would be awesome. It helps people to find us. And shoot me a message. We are online uh, on social media at Between You Me Pod, or you can find us on the web at BetweenYouAndMePod.com. You can stream us on all your favorite platforms, and we will see you next week. See you then. They loved me then, they love you now But don't forget there's one more round All the pain, I know it well But it hasn't kept me down You think you got me figured out You thought you had me You thought that I was done but I'm stronger up against the for listening to the Between You and Me podcast. Stay connected by visiting www.betweenyouandmepod.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. For more Christian news, reviews, and interviews, get plugged in to jesuswire.com.